Hope you had a wonderful feast. We certainly did in Sunset Beach. And sure, all of you did wherever you were as well. It was a time to rejoice. And we did rejoice, didn't we? Probably most of us felt like David did as he went up to the feast, as he was getting ready to go, as we prepared. Let's turn over by way of introduction to Psalm chapter 122. Psalm chapter 122. And verse 1. In Psalm 122 and verse 1, he says, I was glad when they said unto me, Let us go into the house of the Lord. Our feet shall stand within thy gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem is built as a city that is compact together. Where the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, and to the testimony of Israel to give thanks unto the name of the Lord. So we went up to the feast as the people of God, just as David did. As the tribes did back then, we went up as families all over the world and around the country, in this country and other, other places. And we were glad and we rejoiced. But now we're home, right? Now it's over. Now what? Ever notice that sometimes it's hard to rejoice when we go home from the feast as much as when we went we want the feast to go on for it not to end. <clears throat> Mr. Ames asked us in Sunset Beach how many of us would like to continue the feast for another eight days at the end. And I raised my hand. Um, although, you know, Mr. Ames, I have to admit, a nanosecond later, I began to think of our leadership team and the organizational team and more tickets being sold and more meetings and, and uh, uh, you know, organizing more activities, and I kind of had second thoughts. <clears throat> but all the good times, all the celebration, all the rejoicing, we don't want that to end, right? Because it was wonderful. Here's an example of the Israelites in a time when they did keep the feast for another week. Notice in Second Chronicles chapter 30 and verse 21. <clears throat> 2 Chronicles chapter 30 and verse 21. This was the Feast of Unleavened Bread. It wasn't the Feast of Tabernacles, but interestingly enough, they kept it for seven days and then stayed on another seven days. It says in verse 21, And the children of Israel that were present at Jerusalem kept the Feast of Unleavened Bread seven days with great gladness. <clears throat> the Feast is... is whether it's in the springtime or whether it's in the fall, it's a tremendous time of joy, isn't it? And the Levites and the priests praised the Lord day by day, singing with loud instruments unto the Lord. And Hezekiah spoke comfortably unto all the Levites that taught the good knowledge of the Lord. And they did eat throughout the feast, seven days offering peace offerings and making confession to the Lord God of their fathers. And the whole assembly took counsel to keep another seven days. And they kept other seven days with gladness. They didn't want to go home. For Hezekiah, king of Judah, did give to the congregation a thousand bullocks and seven thousand sheep. 
And the princes gave to the congregation a thousand bullocks and ten thousand sheep. So maybe we would need another budget to stay another seven days. That, that, that's a small problem, but <clears throat> we could do it. And a great number of priests sanctified themselves in all the congregation of Judah with the priests and the Levites and all the congregation that came out of Israel. And the strangers that came out of the land of Israel and that dwelt in Judah rejoiced. So there was great joy in Jerusalem. For since the time of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, there was not the like in Jerusalem. Then the priests, the Levites, arose and blessed the people, and their voice was heard, and their prayer came up to his holy dwelling place, even unto heaven. So they stayed another, another week after uh, the Feast of Unleavened Bread was over. But even for them, eventually they had to go home, right? It didn't go on forever. And when we go home after being on that high, after the feast, we sometimes start to get feel a little bit let down, don't we? I was going to ask Lara if he could put together a post-feast blues song and play a few riffs for us today, but uh, maybe another time. <clears throat> we sometimes get the blues after being on such a high. We come home, the leaves start to fall, it gets cooler, especially if we're up north. Uh, the winter's coming, the summer's over. Things change, right? How can we combat the post-feast blues? And no, I'm not going to sing it for you. <clears throat> How do we not only rejoice at the feast, but also after the feast? How can we go home and rejoice after the feast. If you would like a title, mine is Rejoice After the Feast. Rejoice After the Feast. I'd like to talk about that today as we gather just four days after the last great day, 2008. Maybe the best way to deal with post-feast letdown is just let it out. Okay, so <clears throat> we're all going to feel yucky for one minute. Okay, everyone, start now. Okay, feel really yucky. You can kind of slump down in your chair. Put the, the, the best frown, I mean the worst frown on your face you can think of. Turn to your neighbor, uh, you know, whichever side. Say, I'm really grumpy today. Okay, go ahead, you can do it. Let's, let's just get it out. Get it out. Come on, let's get the, the grumpiness out. Turn to your neighbor. Turn to your neighbor. Okay, keep going. You only got 30 seconds left. Keep going. Just feel really, really bad, okay? Depressed and really low. Now you can turn to your other neighbor and say, I'm having a bad day. This is, don't look at me. <clears throat> I, had a, uh, I had a sixth grade teacher who once said that some day she would just come and it was a don't look at me day. So go ahead and tell the other person, don't look at me, okay? Go ahead, you can do it. Go ahead. Let's get it all out. Just don't, don't hold back. 20 seconds left, okay? 15, okay? We're almost there. Kids, uh, young people, think about your homework, okay? Right? You got a lot of homework that, to catch up on. That really makes you feel bad, right? Or if you work in an office, think about those emails that have stacked up several thousand deep. Five seconds, okay? Only grumpy for five more seconds. Okay, that's enough. Well, probably that didn't help all that much, did it? Maybe it did a little bit. 
it doesn't go away. <clears throat> now, sometimes we come home to serious problems. Sometimes we have serious health problems. Some have work or school problems to deal with when they get home. I know of some uh, that are going on right now. Um, I know of some in Sunset Beach who had serious transmission problems at the feast. They came, got a, got a uh, relatively new car. Their transmission broke down. A couple days later, they came back, and it was healed. It was working again. We use healed you know, loosely. Um, but, but God, apparently, it does seem like he got it working again. Um, others had serious problems on the way back home from the feast. We heard of some who had their car broken into on the way back home. Some valuable items stolen. That's enough to dampen the end of your feast. Turn over to Psalm chapter 42 and verse 4. David had problems too. He rejoiced about going up to the feast, but he also had problems and difficulties that sometimes made it not so fun to go through this life. Psalm chapter 42 and verse 4. He said, I pour out my soul in me, for I had gone with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God with the voice of joy and praise with a multitude that kept holy day. He said, I went up to the holy day praising and, and being uh, joyful and rejoicing. But then he says, verse 5, Why art thou cast down, O my soul? Why are you disquieted in me? And isn't that true for us sometimes? We feel like we come home from the feast. I just had a great feast. So why art thou having post-feast letdown? Why do I feel bad? Certainly David had serious problems. He was, had people trying to kill him, and thankfully we don't have that sort of problem. But we do have problems, and sometimes we get down when we come back from the feast because those problems are still there, and we have to face them. What should we do? What's your strategy to combat a post-feast letdown? We all probably have our own way of dealing with it, our own techniques, our own strategy, working through it. I'm going to talk about several strategies today so that we can rejoice after the feast as we did at the feast. Let's turn over to Deuteronomy chapter 16 and verse 13. <clears throat> Deuteronomy chapter 16. You know, it's logical that we would rejoice at the feast. In fact, God said because it was a time of enjoying the fruits of our labor at the end of the season, that's what made us rejoice. Notice what he said in verse 13. You shall observe the Feast of Tabernacles seven days after you have gathered in your corn and your wine, and you shall rejoice in your feast, you and your son and your daughter and your manservant and your maidservant and the Levite and the stranger and the fatherless and the widow that are within your gates. Seven days you shall keep a solemn feast unto the Lord your God in the place which the Lord shall choose, because the Lord your God shall bless you in all your increase and in all the works of your hands, therefore you shall surely rejoice. So we know part of our rejoicing is with the physical blessings, right? That's what he said. He said, enjoy it because 
I have blessed you throughout the year. And you can celebrate. You can take part in those blessings that you've set aside because of my mercy and my bountifulness and my bounty for you. The temporal blessings of eating and drinking from our saving our festival tithe. But think it through. At the feast we just observed, we didn't just rejoice with physical food, did we? We had spiritual food. And since spiritual food doesn't run out with our festival tithe, right? We probably ran out of second tithe, right? When we came home or, or close to it. So those physical blessings run out. But spiritual food does not run out, does it? What is one way of dealing with the post-feast blues? Number one, number one, review our feast notes. Review the spiritual food that we have been partaking of for the past, for those eight days at the feast. As was mentioned in the sermonette, we have been given a lot to chew on during the feast and on the last great day. In only eight days, <clears throat> two and a half or three months worth of normal of food, spiritual food that we normally would get in, in a, a time of several months. Pretty amazing. Pretty amazing. Let's turn over to John chapter 6 and verse 32. What kind of food is this? It's not the perishable kind. It actually lasts forever. John chapter 6 and verse 32. Are we taking advantage of the fact that the spiritual food has a very long shelf life? Right? Doesn't perish. We don't run out. John chapter 6 and verse 32, Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he which comes down from heaven and gives life unto the world. Then they said unto him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that comes to me shall never hunger. And he that believes on me shall never thirst. You notice something? We've been out of the feast now for four days. Have any of you eaten since the feast? Now, I know we ate a lot at the feast, generally. But you still had to eat the next day, right? And the next day and the next day. We, we run out of physical stamina. But he's talking about spiritual food which lasts forever. To never hunger, never thirst. In other words, we can have a continual feast. A continual feast. We have access to God's words all the time. And we took notes so we could remember the things that we learned, right? And we could review them from time to time. The question is, what are we going to do with our notes? Are they just filling space in our notebook? You know, if we were single and had a young lady next to it, were we just trying to impress them? You know, how many notes we could take? Or a single lady? I'm joking. If you have your notes in your notebook, look back a few pages. Take a look at what you wrote down. 
the last, just from four days ago. Go ahead, do it now. Even if I lose you for a couple of minutes, you can catch up on the next point. Look back at the notes that you took. And let our minds wander to back to what we were doing a few days ago and what we were learning a few days ago and the morsels of food we were receiving and those nuggets of truth that were given to us. The food that doesn't go bad in a few hours. Go ahead, just fan back a, back a few pages. What did you learn at this year's feast? Take a highlighter if you have one. Circle some things. You know, on Sunset Beach, just picking out a day, Dr. Winnell on day two taught us about being teachers. He talked about how David said, Open my eyes so that I could see wondrous things out of your law. He talked about how all nations will flow to Jerusalem to receive teaching, how we should be teachable, and how we should be learning that there are specific methods on how to teach. We can apply those in situations we find ourselves in. Just going over these things, rolling them around in our, in our mind, in our brain, imprints them, doesn't it? What did you learn at the feast? And how useful are your notes going to be if they're never opened again? When that food has a very long shelf life. Verse 63, Jesus continued, he said, It is the spirit that quickens the, fret, the flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. And the words that we had spoken to us, even though they were spoken through physical men, they are spirit if they were read from here, and they are life. And so we can continue to rejoice, right? Because we can go back and look at what we were fed on. He says, verse 64, But there are some of you that believe not. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not and who should betray him. And he said, Therefore I said unto you that no man can come unto me except it were given unto him of my Father. And from that time many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. You know, the sad fact is that some who were with us four days ago will not be with us a year from now. That's just statistically the sad fact. What about us? Will we be here next year? Are we in it for the long haul? You know, maybe part of the answer to that question is if we continue to rejoice with what we've been given and take advantage of the learning that we've had even as we go home and throughout the year. Verse 67, Then Jesus said unto the twelve, Will you also go away? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. So it's not just the excitement of the feast that gives us momentum. It's the spiritual nuggets, the spiritual truth, right, brethren? And so really when we start to think about it, that's what helps us to rejoice even after the feast. Are we rejoicing 
after the feast. Second Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15. Are we reviewing our notes? Second Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15. He said, study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. What's the point? Well, as we are cycling back into normal life, right, we, we have to retool our brains a little bit. We have to rethink what our, our schedule is. Now we're getting back into our normal schedule. Why not, for the next week, take our notes and use those as a study guide. Use those as a way every night, every morning, in our private Bible study time. Take those notes and review them in this coming week. That's a, a suggestion. Why, don't, why not do that? Turn to those Scriptures. Highlight key points. Go over them. Circle them. And we'll be able to relive what we went through at the feast. And we'll be able to help ourselves to continue rejoicing even after the feast. Another strategy, and now those of you who I lost, please come back now. A moment ago. <clears throat> Another strategy for rejoicing after the feast. Number two, be grateful for the opportunity to attend at all. Be grateful for the opportunity to attend at all. You know, not everyone was blessed to go to the feast this year. Some stayed home from the feast because of health reasons. We sent out 357 uh, sets of CDs this year for those who were not able to make it to the feast because of health. Last year we sent out 285. There are a lot of folks that are not able to participate in a wonderful blessing of going to the feast. There are some even here in our congregation who weren't able to make it to the feast. Those of us who went to the feast, can you imagine what those days between, what, October 13th until October 22nd, 21st, what would those days have been like to be at home? What would it have been like for us to be sitting at home knowing everyone else is at the feast? Everyone else is enjoying fellowshipping. Everyone else is excited. The highlight of the year. They're being filled spiritually. They're, they're, they're together. They're in, in, in activities. They're making new friends. What would it have been like to be sitting at home? Talk about a downer. Talk about a depressing situation to have to go through. Not by choice, but because of a health reason. Some of our brethren were faced with that very situation. Deuteronomy chapter 16 and verse 16. Notice, <clears throat> there is a provision for uh, some not making it to the feast here in, in the statute. Deuteronomy chapter 16 and verse 16. It says, Three times in a year shall all your males appear before the Lord your God in the place which he shall choose. 
in the Feast of Unleavened Bread, in the Feast of Weeks, in the Feast of Tabernacles, and they shall not appear before the Lord empty. It says all your males. It seems to be an implicit acknowledgement that sometimes uh, the ladies would be pregnant or would have just given birth or have small children, and, and it would have not been possible for them to go. So all the males were commanded to appear before God. Now, of course, traveling today with small children is much easier than it would have been back then. But we see the principle that not everyone could always attend the feast. But for those who would miss it, just think through the disappointment of leading up to the highlight of the year and then not being able to participate. My point is here, if we were blessed to go to the feast, let's appreciate it. And let's remember those who weren't able to No matter how great our problems are when we come back home, there are others, always others who have worse problems, aren't there? And one of those problems may have been not even going to the feast at all. If you're aware of individuals who miss the feast, give them a word of encouragement. Maybe even send them a note. Let them know that we were thinking about them. You know, that's why we have the cards usually a card table at the feast to remind those who are at home that we're thinking about them. But even now, that can be very, very encouraging. Notice in Philemon, Philemon, Paul commended Philemon for being an individual who would encourage others. This is an opportunity we have. Those of us who went to the feast... Philemon, verse 1, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, and Timothy, our brother, unto Philemon, our dearly beloved and fellow laborer, and to our beloved Aphia and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 4, I thank my God, making mention of you always in my prayers, hearing of your love and faith, which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all saints. Verse 6, Philemon, chapter 1, by the way. That the communication of your faith may become effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. For we have great joy and consolation in your love because the bowels of the saints are refreshed by you, brother. Philemon was the kind of person who would share in his joy by encouraging others, refreshing others, communicating with others. Can that be said about us? You know, even some who did go to the feast weren't able to attend the whole feast. They might have been sick. They might have, you know, can you imagine how fun would that be, spending three or four or five days in your hotel room during the feast? And we thank them that they did stay there, so not to spread the whatever they had to others, but that's not very fun. Or how about going to the hospital? We had one individual down in Sunset Beach who had a pacemaker put in during the, during the feast. Not a very positive memory of the feast. The point is that we can encourage those who... Um, probably didn't have the best feast ever. And that helps us to be thankful and grateful that if we were able to go.
if God blessed us to go. Here's another key to overcoming the post-feast blues and rejoicing even after the feast. Number three, pray for focus. Pray for focus. Now, why would we need focus after the feast? The feast is eight days to get us focused, right? to, to, To focus our vision, to help us to see the future, help us to see what we're supposed to be doing. Well, yes. But the point is that when we go home, our problems meet us at the door, right? Our problems are still there. They seem to stick around ready for us right there when we return. So we need focus when we go home. Matthew chapter 14 and verse 14. Matthew chapter 14. There's an interesting passage that illustrates this. Matthew 14 and verse 14. It says, And Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion towards them. And he healed their sick. And when it was evening, his disciples came to him, saying, This is a deserted place, and the time is now past. Send the multitude away, that they may go into the villages and buy themselves something to eat. But Jesus said unto them, They need not depart, give you them to eat. And they said unto him, We have here but five loaves and two fishes. And he said, Bring them here to me. And he commanded the multitude to sit down on the grass, took the five loaves and the two fishes, and looking up to heaven, he blessed them and broke them. And gave the loaves to his disciples and the disciples to the multitude. And they did eat and were filled, and they took up of the fragments that remained twelve baskets full. And they that had eaten were about five thousand men, besides women and children. And straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and go before him unto the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them walking on the sea. So right after this incredible miracle, what did Jesus do? He went to pray, and he prayed all night, most of the night. But there's more to the story. Let's back up to what happened just before this miracle. Just before the feeding of the 5,000 men plus women and children. Verse 9, breaking into the story, the king was sorry. Nevertheless, for the oath's sake of them which sat with him at meat, he commanded it to be given her. That was the head of John the Baptist. And he sent and beheaded John in the prison, and his head was brought in a charger and given to the damsel, and she brought it to her mother. And his disciples came and took up the body, buried it, and went and told Jesus. When Jesus heard of it, he departed thence by ship into a desert place apart. But when the people had heard thereof, they followed him on foot out of the cities. What was happening? John the Baptist had just been beheaded. And Jesus Christ and his disciples were actually on the way to have some time alone. To process what had just happened. And this must have hit him. 
He was actually a second cousin of Christ, wasn't he? And as they were heading out, he said, let's go to a deserted place. We need to stop for a moment. We need to have some private time. But as they were going, the crowds followed them, and 5,000 people needed to eat. So he stopped. He took care of them. He performed this incredible miracle, one of the things that people know Christ through these today, even those who are not religious, feeding the 5,000, this incredible miracle. And then he sent them on their way. But even after that miracle, he still needed to be alone, didn't he? He still needed time to process, apparently, what was going on. Brethren, sometimes we go to the feasts with problems left behind, don't we? At our job, in our family, personal problems, whatever. When we come back home, they're still there. No matter how exciting and no matter how much we rejoiced at the feast, you think about it. What, how exciting was that miracle? As the disciples saw that the, the food just kept coming. The bread just kept coming. The fish just kept coming. Wow! What an amazing miracle. Was it any less of a miracle, really, if we think about it, what we just experienced at the feast? No, the food physically did not just magically appear. Right? We found that in some buffets. They had to go and get more. But the spiritual food that we received, the spiritual understanding that we took part in, that we could see, how did we see that? Only because God miraculously opened our minds, right? Turned a switch in our minds so that we could see the future. We could see what the feast represented and the vision, prophetic vision that it gives to us. That's a miracle. No less than feeding 5,000 people. I mean, that's just physical, right? So, after that, don't we still need now time privately to still process the daily problems that we suffer through, that we deal with, the things that were here when we left for the feast? If Jesus Christ did, certainly we do as well. As we start off this next stage in time, going into the winter months, the months ahead of us, all the way to Passover next spring, are we getting on a good footing? You know, one of the ways of that getting on that good footing is really setting a good pattern of regular, intimate Private prayer with God, isn't it? Private time with God. Notice Psalm chapter 4 and verse 1. Psalm chapter 4 and verse 1. And that helps us to rejoice after the feast. When we, <clears throat> after the excitement, after the adrenaline rush, after really experiencing a miracle at the feast, we come home 
And now we start a really positive pattern of doing it on a private basis. And that is in our prayers every day. Psalm chapter 4 and verse 1. David said, Hear me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have enlarged me when I was in distress. Have mercy upon me and hear my prayer. O you sons of men, how long will you turn my glory into shame? How long will you love vanity and seek after leasing? Say But know that the Lord has set apart him that is godly for himself. The Lord will hear when I call unto him. Stand in awe and sin not. Commune with your own heart upon your bed and be still. Are we doing that? Because that's one of the techniques, that's one of the strategies of rejoicing after the feast. Not just coasting because of the emotional high we've had, but actually starting a really positive pattern of private prayer with God. Mr. Meredith, in his last great day message on the DVD, encouraged us all to focus on God without distraction. To really walk with God in the coming months. To not lose the big dose of spiritual vision that we have received. But to do that, we have to commune with God every day in private. And if we've been slack on that, well, now's the time to start a good habit. Start on a good footing. Verse 5. David said, Offer the sacrifices of righteousness and put your trust in the Lord. There are many that say, Who will show us any good? Lord, lift up the light of your countenance upon us. You have put gladness in my heart more than in the time that their corn and their wine increased. And brethren, we just experienced a time when our corn and wine increased, right? But he's saying, You have put gladness in my heart more than just having Nice wine, or a nice steak, or a really good fish, right? More, the joy, the gladness, more than when the corn and the wine increase. I will both lay me down in peace and sleep, for you, Lord, only make me dwell in safety. What brings rejoicing after the feast? Well, going to him in prayer focused prayer, asking him to help us have the focus we need in prayer. That brings us to the next point, number four. Number four, change one thing. Change one thing. You know, Extreme Makeover Home Edition recently came to Charlotte. You may have seen this in the paper. The King family, not not our King family, um, different one, uh, The King family, who lived in Windsor Park near Eastland Mall, um, had a have a new home. It was shown, I guess, last Sunday night. They uh, they had a 1,900 square foot home, and it's been changed to a 5,100 square foot home. A total makeover, as any of you who have seen the show uh, know, they do. They come in and they they take the house, and within just a few hours, I think it took about 100 hours for this one. They totally change it. They all kinds of renovations. Different rooms have themes and whatever. And uh, so they did that here in Charlotte recently. <clears throat> the changes don't always necessarily mean lasting changes or positive changes. Here's a quote from the Charlotte Observer this morning. 
It says, in their old house, which was about 1,900 square feet, there was never a private spot to get away for a quiet moment. Now everyone has their own space, which is its own problem. Alicia King says, quote, I have to pull the kids downstairs. I want to see them. Now they've got a house that's too big for really, you know, seeing each other. So a, a total house makeover doesn't always have the positive consequences that people want. They think it's going to change their life, <clears throat> and it certainly would be a big blessing, but it uh, doesn't always have the positive consequences. But brethren, think about it. We have an opportunity now not to have a home makeover, not to have a body makeover, but to have, let's call it, extreme makeover, spiritual edition. Spiritual edition. What thing do you want to change in the next six months? Just one. And we might think of many. This is a good time to think of goals and things that we would like to do in the next few months. But let's just narrow it down to one. How would you like to be different? What do you want the next six months to be like? Because you know, if we want them to be different from the last six months, we've got to choose to do so, right? We've got to make the choice now. And this is an opportunity we have right now to meditate on it a bit, to think it through, to examine ourselves, we can actually start getting ready for Passover now. We can start thinking of a change that we want to make that when we come to Passover, we'll be able to look back and say, wow, I'm different than I was on October 25th. Just pick one thing. Make a plan. Make some goals. Make it a focus of your prayer and studies. What would you like to do differently? Maybe even fast about it. Now, hold on a second, you say. Why in the world would anyone want to fast after the feast? Well, maybe that would actually be a help, wouldn't it? You know, Maybe for some of us who were especially blessed this year could, uh, could use a fast. I think I could. <clears throat> Fasting, we know, is very helpful in making breakthrough changes, isn't it? Zeroing in on one thing we need to change. Notice in Isaiah chapter 58 and verse 6. Isaiah chapter 58 and verse 6. Look at how useful fasting is for personal growth. And as we think about the next six months and what we want them to be like, pick one of these things. What would you like your life to be different? In which way would you like your life to be different? He mentions all sorts of things that fasting helps us to change in our personal life. Isaiah 58 and verse 6, Is not this the fast that I've chosen to loose the bands of wickedness? to undo the heavy burdens and to let the oppressed go free and that you break every yoke? Is it not to deal your bread to the hungry and that you bring the poor that are cast out to your house? 
When you see the naked that you cover him, that you hide not yourself from your own flesh, pick something. You know, there are all kinds of situations Isaiah is talking about, right? On things that we only know that we need to change. And he's saying fasting is a tool to get that process going. He says, verse 9, Then you shall call, and the Lord shall answer, that you shall cry, and he shall say, Here I am. If you take away from the midst of you the yoke, the putting forth of the finger, and speaking vanity, if you draw out your soul to the hungry, and satisfy the afflicted soul, then shall your light rise in obscurity, and your darkness be as the noonday. You know, we have a tremendous amount of energy behind us with the feast we've just taken part of, don't we? Tremendous amount of momentum that has already been created by the feast. Let's not squander that. Now's the time to, to add some specific direction and focus to make it happen. One change. How would you like your life to be different? Verse 11, The Lord shall guide you continually and satisfy your soul in drought and make fat your bones and you shall be like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters fail not. You know, what a great promise, especially when we look at what's happening. The stock market, what did it drop? Another 500 points yesterday? I mean, here as we come home from the feast, the market's tanking. It's happening around the world. What a better time than now to, to get our focus, to fast, to think about where we need to be. God says that is a way that we can have food and water in drought. And we're facing a very difficult times ahead. We know that. Verse 12. And they that shall be of you shall build the old waste places. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations, and you shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of paths to dwell in. It even talks about the millennium. It even talks about the promise that we have just heard about in the feast and how we can be a part of it. So let's start off the next six months. By fasting and by committing to change one thing. Number five, number five, take care of your health. Take care of your health. You know, at the feast, sometimes we rejoice so much that our health takes a hit. We may eat too much. We may eat too much of the wrong foods. We may not get enough sleep. We may get too little exercise. Now that we're home, let's rejoice by taking control of our health, right? Maybe making a few changes. Maybe getting into some better patterns that are more sustainable. 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 7. 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse, verse 7. Paul said to, to Timothy... He said, Refuse profane and old wives' fables and exercise yourself rather unto godliness. The big issues are spiritual. Change, focus, fasting, prayer, 
meditation, study. But our physical health has a tremendous impact on how well we can do those things, doesn't it? Verse 8, For bodily exercise profits little, or for a little while, but godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. So, not a bad idea to start in an exercise program. Start thinking about our intake of food, our health, getting enough sleep. 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 24. 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 24. Paul again says, Don't you know that they which run in a race run all, but one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain. And every man that strives for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly. So fight I, not as one that beats the air, but I keep under my body and bring it to subjection. Is it time to bring our bodies into subjection now that we're home from the feast? We might have let things go a little bit. It's a good time to, to, to repattern ourselves, right? I bring my body into subjection, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 7. Philippians chapter 3, 17, sorry, verse 17. Verse 17, Philippians chapter 3. Brethren, he says, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk so as you have us for an example. For many walk of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. We don't want our God to be our belly. We don't want our health to be something that we don't take care of, right? Now's the time to set a, a, a good pattern because it affects how we can uh, take care of other things as well. Verse 20, For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto His glorious body, according to the working whereby He, was, he is able even to subdue all things unto Himself. So as we rejoice to rejoice after the feast, let's also think about a positive pattern of, of taking care of our health. Number six. Number six. How do we rejoice after the feast? Number six, get to work. Get to work. Isn't it true that one of the things that satisfies us the most is just simply getting to work? Getting back to work. Getting working. It's interesting just how many places we read of this and of focus in the Bible. Luke chapter 2 and verse 41. 
Luke chapter 2. In verse 41, it says, Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was twelve years old, they went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast. And when they had fulfilled the days, as they returned, the child Jesus tarried behind in Jerusalem. And Joseph and his mother knew not of it. But they, supposing him to have been in the company, went a day's journey. And they sought him among their kinsfolk and acquaintance. And when they found him not, they turned back to Jerusalem, seeking him. And it came to pass that after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions. And all that heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. And when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said unto him, Son, why have you dealt with us in this way? Behold, your father and I have sought you sorrowing. And he said unto them, How is it that you sought me? Don't you know that I must be about my father's business? You know, this was after the feast. This was after the spring feast. And what was Jesus thinking about? He was just a young man here. And he wasn't thinking about playing with his friends and his cousins and his brothers and sisters. He wasn't thinking about all the physical trappings of the feast they had just had. Nothing would have been wrong with that. He wasn't even thinking about going home and, and all the things that he could do when he got home. He was thinking about the work. He was thinking about his work, wasn't he? I've got to be about my father's business. How about us? How about us? Where is our focus? As we come home, as we get back to work in our own jobs, our own situations, as we are faced again with problems and trials, it's good for us to saddle up, isn't it? To saddle up and get back into our work. Notice over in the book of John also what, <clears throat> what Jesus Christ said in John chapter... 4 and verse 34. John chapter 4 and verse 30. Let's start in verse 33. He said, Therefore said the disciples one to another, Have any man brought him anything to eat? And Jesus said unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. You know, as we come back from the feast, as we're getting back into the groove again of, of, of our normal daily life. That's one of the things that we focus on, isn't it? Getting back to work. Now, work is not as fun as being at the feast. Um, but think about it. The feast is not an end in itself, is it? The feast is not supposed to be the end point. It's supposed to drive us, help us to understand what we can do, how we can focus when we get back to work. It's supposed to give us an incentive to work, to help us to see the end point of where we're going and why we're working. And all those billions of people we talked about on the last great day who need our work, who need to have what we are accomplishing, what we are a part of. All the people now who need the gospel message that we are a part of. 
we have a lot of work to do, don't we? And the more we focus on that, the more we get excited about it, and we want to get to work. Lamentations chapter 3 and verse 14. The prophet Jeremiah lived through an interesting time, which is very instructive for us, because he witnessed the demise of a society, just like we are doing now. We have front row seats to the demise of modern Israel. So did, so did Jeremiah. It's a powerful correlation. Look at some of the things he said. Lamentations chapter 3 and verse 14. He says, I was a derision to all my people and their song all the day. He attracted attention. And there were those who made fun of the message that he was getting out, that he was publishing. Someday, sometime, we're going to attract more attention. And we may be a derision to the people as well. We know the times that are coming. We are witnessing historic times. We have a message. We're getting out to the world. Now that we're home, now that we get back to work, we put our shoulder to the wheel. There is some effort, isn't there? And there's even some pain, not just pandering to our own selfish uh, desires to kind of kick back and, and uh, enjoy life, right? Just kind of coast. We've got work to do. And that takes getting our minds off ourselves, even if eventually we get persecuted for it. Verse 17, And those who have removed my soul far off from peace, I forgot prosperity, Jeremiah said. And I said, my strength and my hope is perished from the Lord, remembering my affliction and my misery, the wormwood and the gall. My soul has them still in remembrance and is humbled in me. This I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed, because His compassions fail not. This is a man speaking who saw his country fall around him. We have not seen that yet. But we see the signs coming, right? We see the writing on the wall. We see the structures of our financial system coming apart. This I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. It is of the Lord's mercies that we're not consumed because His compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is his great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore will I hope in him. The Lord is good unto them that wait for him, to the soul that seeks him. It is a it is good that a man should both hope and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. Now, brethren, compared to the ancient of days. We are all in our youth, right? Compared to the one who has lived forever, we all are young people. We all are his children. And he has given us a yoke. He has given us a burden to accomplish. Focusing on that even helps us to get through the post-feast blues. We've got a job to do. We have a purpose Mr. Ames quoted Mr. Armstrong in, in one of his sermons at Sunset Beach. He asked, 
Do you know your purpose for living? And he said, Mr. Armstrong used to say, Can anyone say they are truly educated if they don't know the purpose of life? And what a blessing that we have, that we know why we're here. We know why mankind at all was created, but even more specifically, we know why we have a job to do now. And we're thankful and grateful that we can be a part of that. And we're grateful for the opportunity to spread it to others. Let's turn over to 1 Kings chapter 18. There's also an interesting passage in 1 Kings about Elijah that I think is helpful as we think through these things we're talking about. The story of Elijah. Remember the story of Elijah who was a prophet in the time of King Ahab. There was a drought. King Ahab, of course, blamed Elijah for it. It wasn't his fault. There came a showdown. In 1 Kings chapter 18 and verse 20, we'll just jump into the story here. The prophets of Baal were were gathered. So Ahab sent unto all the children of Israel, verse 20, and gathered the prophets together unto Mount Carmel. And Elijah came unto all the people and said, How long do you halt between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow Him. But if Baal, then follow Him. And the people answered him not a word. Then said Elijah unto the people, I, even I alone, only remain a prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are 450 men. Elijah sometimes felt alone in his work. And you know, we aren't that many either, are we? After the prophets of Baal called out all day long, Elijah stepped forward in verse 29. It came to pass when midday was past. And they prophesied until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that there was neither voice nor any to answer, nor any that regarded. And Elijah said unto all the people, Come near to me. And all the people came near unto him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. Verse 33, And he put the wood in order, and cut the bullock in pieces, and laid him on the wood, and said, Fill four barrels with water, and pour it on the burnt sacrifice and on the wood. And he said, do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And he said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. And the water ran round about the altar, and he filled the trench also with water. And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant And that I have done all these things at your word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that you are the Lord God and that you have turned their heart back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, The Lord, He is the God. The Lord, He is the God. The awesome miracle that God did through Elijah. The prophets of Baal defeated in an absolutely final way, at least in his lifetime there, in a powerful way. You know, Elijah must have rejoiced at this, don't you think? Not only did God deliver him from a difficult situation, but the whole nation of Israel... Imagine how others 
who were true worshipers of God, would have rejoiced at this tremendous deliverance from the tyranny of Baal worship and Queen Jezebel. Not only that, but God also then ended the drought through the prophet Elijah. A lot to rejoice about, right? Everything was going in the right direction. Things were really on the up and up. Elijah must have been very encouraged, just as we had a lot to be thankful for at the feast. We came before God. He blessed the feast. He guided us all over the world. As far as the reports we know, he, he watched over and us and gave us another vision of his plan and his future. But you know, that wasn't the end of Elijah's story, was it? You know the story. Chapter 19 and verse 1. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, and withal how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also if I make not your life as the one of them by tomorrow about this time. Surely things are going so well, nothing could dampen Elijah's enthusiasm, right? I mean, a total reversal of the whole nation of Israel. 450 prophets of Baal slain. The people had, 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 had turned, had professed obedience to God. Elijah had been the catalyst, the, the instrument that God used. Certainly, nothing could dampen his, his enthusiasm, right? A small problem came up. Small used loosely. He ran for his life. Verse 3, And when he saw that, he arose and went for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree, and he requested for himself that he might die. Now what a change of events from a tremendous high to the deepest of lows. Do you ever feel like that? After a great lift at the feast, we come home. We have to confront the very mundane problems of life. Again, what did we go through at the feast? No, there was no fire from heaven, at least where we were in Sunset Beach. Maybe there was where you were. There was no miraculous rain after years of drought. But again, what was the miracle of the feast where we went? The fact that we can see into the future, right? And that God has given us a glimpse of His plan and that we are a part of it and we can share it with all the world. And yet how quickly we get discouraged because of the cares of this life, right? After seeing that, after experiencing that miracle at the feast. God was patient with Elijah. He'll be patient with us. Verse 7, it says, And the angel of the Lord came again the second time, touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for you. And he arose and did eat and drink and went in the strength of that meat forty days and forty nights unto Horeb, the mount of God. You know, that's another way of saying that Elijah fasted. There are 40 days and 40 nights, right? Is fasting necessary to overcome the post-feast blues? It helped Elijah to refocus. 
Verse 9, And he came there unto a cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said unto him, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, slain your prophets with the sword, and I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. And he said, Go forth, stand upon the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind rent the mountains, and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. You know, after the big, majestic picture that we have seen at the feast, let's not neglect hearing the still, small voice of our private time with God. That's what finally got Elijah's attention, right? And all the things that clutter our lives, is that are those going to drown out the still, small voice now as we go home? As we are home? Sorry. A little bit of deja vu there. And it was so, verse 13, when Elijah heard it, that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entering end of the cave. And behold, there came a voice unto him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and slain your prophets with a sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. Elijah was pretty down. So what did God tell him to do? He said, get to work. Verse 15, the Lord said unto him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. When you come, anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. He gave him a job to do. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, shall you anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat of Abel-Meholah, shall you anoint to be prophet in your room. He gave him another assignment. He gave him something to do. What is our job now that we're home from the feast? One of the best ways that we can confront feeling kind of low is being busy about our work. And our greatest work is certainly the work of God. <clears throat> Look, God even encouraged Elijah by letting him know who else was involved in the work too. Verse 18, he says, Yet I have left me 7,000 in Israel, all the knees which have not bowed unto Baal, and every mouth which has not kissed him. He said, Elijah, there are 7,000 others who are with you, who are behind you. Brethren, let's not underestimate the power of even 7,000 Christians around the world committed to finishing the work that we are doing. So he departed thence, verse 19, and found Elisha the son of Shaphat who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen before him, and he with the 12th, and Elijah passed by him and cast his mantle upon him. We've had a great feast, and from the report so far, everyone had a very positive and inspiring feast. And maybe it was exactly what we needed as we head into uncertain times in our country and around the world. Maybe it was to help us to not be discouraged and to not let down, but rather to be a reminder to get back in the saddle for time is short. And that brings us to the last point. <clears throat> 
about overcoming post-feast letdown. The last point is fill in the blank. What is your strategy? What do you find that helps you to renew your joy after the feast? You fill in the blank. Write in for yourself. Perhaps we can share our ideas with one another in our fellowship. We all confront problems and trials as we come home from the feast. And no, I didn't put it that way just because I couldn't think of one. I do want us to think about it. Let's help each other. Let's encourage each other as we face our future together. A couple more scriptures, Philippians chapter 4 and verse 4. You know, we are commanded to rejoice at the feast, but actually we're commanded to rejoice after the feast. Have you noticed this? Philippians chapter 4 and verse 4. Paul said, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again I say, rejoice. That always would include right after the feast, wouldn't it? Or am I missing something? We are always to rejoice. And that includes right now. And we have so much to rejoice about. Proverbs chapter 15 and verse 15. And we'll conclude here right after I read this. Not before. Proverbs 15 and verse 15. It says, All the days of the afflicted are evil, but he that is of a merry heart has a continual feast. Brethren, let's have a continual feast even though we're home from the feast. As we feed on Christ, as we seek a close relationship, maybe closer than ever before, with God, with fasting, as we encourage one another, as we change one thing, as we take care of our health, and as we get to work.